This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your tablet, smartphone, and desktop. Support the show and get a free audiobook of your choice by visiting audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Follow Standard Orbit, Mr. Checker, and take us in. Hi, sir. Is the word of Landrew. Hey there, buddy. This is Landrew. Before we get into the previously recorded episode, Mike and I wanted you to have some time to remember. A few days ago, we lost a very important part of Star Trek, Leonard Nimoy, to chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. He was 83. While we may never have met him or actually knew him personally, we could tell the positive effects he had on everyone around him. Even though he could have just been another guy on our TV, we felt he has been and always shall be our friend. May he continue to live long and prosper in our hearts. Joy to you, friends, and thanks for joining us here in Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated show for the original Star Trek series. My name is Drew, or Landrew, and this is my co-host Mike from Commentary Trek Stars. Hey, what's up? How you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling a lot better than I did uh, a couple days ago, but as you might be able to tell, I'm getting over a cold, so... It's kind of cool and bassy. Yeah. <laughs> I would say I'm all about the bass, but that would just be terrible. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. All right. Today, we're not going to be talking about Megan Trainer, but Is we're that actually going to... that song? See, I don't yes. even know. I don't even know. I'm sorry. It's okay. Now you know. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. So, we're, we're actually going to be talking about Tribble's... And the trouble with them. No, the, the truth about them. I'm sorry. The truth and the trouble. There are trouble, and there's truth involved also. Yeah. Anyway, it's time for another comic comparison where we compare the uh, IDW ongoing JJ Verse Star Trek series to the original series. And this one is the spin that they did on the trouble with Tribbles. Yep. Which, uh, Apparently, David Gerald is fond of. Yeah, I read that. Um, it actually, here on the cover page, uh, or on the title page, it says, I've loved comic books all my life, and it's a big thrill to see that the original Tribble story still holds up and has sp- inspired such a wonderful retelling. There you go. I'd, I'd not noticed that till I, I was reading it for this. I was like, oh, look at that. That's cool. And again, he likes the Big Bang Theory, so, you know. Oh, oh I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, we won't talk about that if we ever have him on somehow. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, it actually starts off, uh, the comic starts off with a flashback to 2009, apparently, uh, right after, uh, in between some scenes. We've got kind of a, a mid-scene thing here where Spock points out the Tribble on Scotty. <laughs> I almost said Sulu, and then, no. Okay. Uh, He notices the Tribble on Scotty's desk and asks uh, how he only has one of them, (laughs) pretty much. Yeah. It's a cute scene, and I like how it fits into the movie, and yet it has the tone of this comic, not the movie, really. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It it fits. But then we've got, uh, and then it flashes back to, in between 2009, and 
Well, not the year 2000. The movie 2000. You know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And uh, Scotty is conducting a transwarp experiment with his nephew, Chris, which is not his nephew from the director's cut of Star Trek Two. No. Because his name's Peter Pressman, so it's like his sister's kid. Right. So apparently he has a brother who has a kid. Uh, I noticed the name Chris. I'm I'm hoping... I, I couldn't find any confirmation, but I'm hoping that that's a reference to uh, Chris Dewan. I, I thought the same thing. I imagine it would be. That would be one of uh, James Dewan's actual twin sons, uh, Chris. He's the one who's actually in the Star Trek movies. Uh, as as a transporter operator alongside Simon Pegg, which is pretty funny. And he also plays uh, Scotty on Star Trek Continues. Yes. So it's it's kind of cool to, to get that kind of shout out to to Chris Scott here. So, so Scotty tries to beam the Tribble to Starfleet Academy, and it works. Which is interesting because he's trying to beam it long range bouncing it off of satellites and stuff like that which is um kind of foreshadowing the transwarp beaming that you find used again in Star Trek Into Darkness yeah the this really has a lot of shadowing to Into Darkness that you miss the the first time around because it's all stuff that you would think like what why would that be in the movie you know right like oh at the end spoilers at the end they keep a tribble a dead tribble keeps a tribble a dead tribble to to play with yeah for no reason like the comic is just like hey i got a dead tribble and we're like that's never going to come up again right when they were it's saying... not going to be it's not gonna, like it's not going to be the deus ex machina for the next movie right <laughs> oh. oh well so after Scotty apparently breaks all kinds of quarantine rules by beaming they don't even know what. Which is, one, why did they let it on the ship? Did Scotty go back for it? I mean, I guess he didn't beam with them, so I get when he shows up. Well, no, Keen, he beams Keens with them. Are, no, but, but they, they get Keenzer on there at the end. Oh. So they must have okay. gone back at some point. Well, they had They to did go back, go back for Keenzer. Yeah. That's a good point. I forgot about Keenzer. Can't forget about Keenzer. No. So, but the ship goes to red alert, which Scotty thinks has something to do with him, which is pretty funny. And a lot of this dialogue is very Simon Peggish, yeah, uh, very, very new Trek Scotty, and the Klingons. But it's the Klingons that showed up, which is really the only glimpse we get of Klingons, and we don't even really see them in this Trouble with Tribbles. No, you know, and, and they were in an awkward position, I guess, in terms of like adapting this one and that you couldn't really show the Klingons because they hadn't really been revealed yet. Uh -huh. But, you know, it, it, it is similar to the episode in that, you know, they're put on red alert because of a crisis, which turns out to not be really the big crisis that they deal with in the show. And it does also involve Klingons. So yeah. that's kind of interesting. Uh, it turns out that the uh, Klingons just buzzed across the border to uh, visit a planet and then run off. And they left some technology behind. So the Enterprise goes to uh, find out what they're up to. So an away mission consisting of... Who is that? Chekhov? Yeah. We've got uh, Chekhov, Kirk, Spock, and Scotty. 
beam down to the planet, and they find tribbles. Just just a couple tribbles, and then they find some more tribbles. Presumably, this is the Tribble homeworld, I'm assuming, right? That's what I'm guessing, but it's it's hard to tell, and we don't really get like a confirmation. It could just be, well, no, because it's got the Predator there. Now, have you watched more Tribbles, more Troubles yet? Yes. Okay, so it's been a while since I've seen it, but does this look anything like that planet? No. And the Glommers aren't the same. And the Glommers were actually Klingon weapons. Oh, okay. So they weren't the natural predators. Right. They weren't natural predators. Oh, okay. But I, yeah, I, I do like works. this in, this yeah. interpretation yeah. of Tribbles just breed, and so they've got natural predators that come and eat them by the truckload. Right, which is something that they do touch on in the original episode, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like in their natural environment, you know, it all works out. But here, without the predators... Yeah, this yeah, this is really clever way of showing us tribbles, and not being you know quadratric, whatever, <laughs> grain, right, on a space station, but uh, the Klingons left behind bombs to uh, I guess because dis- there's several of them destroy the surface of the entire planet. Yeah, yeah. Now here's the thing which I don't quite understand. Um, you know, and I was waiting for it to all tie together, and it never really did. Scotty just happens to be beaming his one tribble back to his nephew as they are approaching the home planet of the tribbles. Yes, that's a rather interesting coincidence. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, really, it it's an amazing coincidence. Like, well, it's a, it's a cartoon. I mean, it's not a cartoon. It's a comic book. You know, they've got to get, they've got to figure out the the plot to their the the solution to their problems through the plot of of other things, like Sex in the City. You know, every there there'll be one person with a problem, and then everybody else's solution to their problems, and uh, you know, makes the other problem, uh, yeah, solution apparent. Yeah, I really don't know a way around it either. You know, you couldn't say like, oh, well, that scene took place earlier. Or anything because, you know, the outbreak on Earth is mirroring the outbreak, well, is mirroring them on the planet. I mean, I guess the way to do it... No, it it mirrors them on the ship, even. That's what... uh, Yeah, that too. I guess the way to do it would be to say, okay, you know, this planet comes from, you know, here, whatever, I don't know, somehow involve the Klingons and have the Klingons tell them where the planet is so that they could go there in an attempt to... Or just eliminate the planet stuff altogether. Yeah. I don't know. Planet stuff doesn't really amount to anything. Mm-hmm. Except for the showing the natural predators, which I would miss. Yeah. But at the same time, it hurts the story. Yeah. Sure. So it turns out that uh, there's a... The big predator things come along. Superglommers, we'll call them. Okay. And uh, they attack Kirk... And so Spock has to knock it out. But then a whole bunch of them come because there seem to be more and more tribbles the more and more predators there are around. You know, them balancing each other out. Uh, Scotty can't figure out how to how to turn off the bomb. But the issue ends with uh, Chekhov, who is helping with the, the transport experiment, questioning 
well, what happened to that one that we beamed to Earth? And then it shows a lovely panel of San Francisco covered in triples. Yeah. And I guess in a lot of ways, this is sort of like the JJ verse version of trouble with tribbles in that it, it's much bigger, right? It's oh, more yeah. epic scale. It's not just a space station. It's, it's Starfleet, Starfleet Academy, the yeah. whole thing. Yeah. That's true. And there's a lot of running and shooting and, and things that, that aren't necessarily in the, the original version. Yeah. But there's a whole bunch of predators and I, I really like how they figure out the, the bomb talks in Klingon. And they have to uh, get Uhura to translate and then teach them the deactivation phrase. Right. And there's like a couple pages devoted to them trying to figure out how to speak Klingon. Right. It's cute. Yeah, I really like it. So they beam they beam back up along with one of the bombs and uh, Pike calls. Like, it, it's just nonstop. Like, oh, we beam the Tribble. We go down to the planet. You know, there's red alert. We go down to the planet. We come back. Pike calls, and Pike says that San Francisco is drowning in tribbles because of Scotty's nephew, who got a tribble from Scotty. Of course, they're not calling anything like that. Uh, yeah. They never call it a tribble. Yeah, although Spock, old Spock, at the beginning says, "Is that a tribble?" So, oh, that's true. Yeah. But they they don't they forget that rightly so. I mm -hmm. hate when characters in movies can memorize or repeat things that they heard years ago or months ago. I guess at this point, yeah. yeah. Like oh, somebody said something in a language I didn't understand. It sounded like this, and then they quote it perfectly. I mean, theoretically, Cyrano Jones would have told Scotty that it was a tribble when he sold it to him, right? Yeah, I guess he would. Which we forgot to mention, that, that this Scotty actually references that he bought it from a guy named Jones. Yeah. So there, there's still a Cyrano Jones running around being a con man? I guess he wasn't really a con man. He, he was, was just a, a salesman. Man. He was I mean, a salesman. No, because he, he, he was like, he knew what what the Tribble was, and he was trying to sell it as something different, and you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh there are tribbles uh everywhere. Pike is upset that you've gotta figure out uh how to stop them because or we'll have to start exterminating them, which goes against the heart of the Federation Charter. I, I like that mm -hmm. that little reference to we're not gonna hurt anything, even I guess the equivalent to like rats. Yeah. Like PETA PETA Wan. You know, everybody, everybody's for the ethical treatment of animals. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so then they have a conference room scene because there's a lot of TNG in this comic series. Uh, I guess there's a conference room in the regular version, but yeah, they got that the cool series. like three screened monitor in there and stuff. Right? Yeah, they don't in the comic, which is sad. Hmm. But Scotty admits that he's trying. He was playing with transwarp beaming, trying to get Admiral Archer's be beagle back. Still, no confirmation if that's actually Jonathan Archer. I'm imagining it can't be. I think it is Jonathan Archer, but I think it's a different beagle. It's not Porthos. Right. I know it's not Porthos, but still, I I I don't like 
that everybody lives forever in yeah. in in the Star Trek universe. I, I don't. What's so wrong with not having died yet? Well, I mean, he'd be 130 or something. Yeah. I just it it's too much just to have everybody cross over just because they're old. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just it's just not something I can get behind. Uh, you can't get you behind know, that. I could get behind time travel, you know, bringing them there, but just ancient people. I don't know. I mean, it kind of makes sense. I mean, what what is it? Didn't someone do the math and figure out like if there was no disease or whatever, like how long the body could last? And it was like 130 years. Yeah, but it's not like Archer's running around complaining about his missing beagle. He'd have to be dead by this point. I'm sorry. Oh, sure. He could probably be dead. I mean, this could have happened in the Academy days or whatever, but, you know, there's still a beagle out there, which needs to be found, right? Yeah. I mean, if they're not killing Tribbles, then chances are they're going to want to get back all the beagles. That's true. And we know from Prime Universe, Scotty, that if something's in a transporter beam, it doesn't age. Right. Speaking of the devil. <laughs> yeah. Also in this scene, Sc Scotty immediately goes to, well, that old Spock knew what that was. Maybe we can call him up. Spock says, my older self was adamant that he could not interfere in the events of this timeline, no matter what knowledge he possessed, no matter how grave the threat. Right. Which is kind of a, you know, foreshadowing that we're never going to be able to call him again. Yeah, unless definitely. we totally call him again. Right. Yeah. Still upset about that. I, I have no problem with no that movie. No reason. There's no reason. Why not? And there's no reason. Every time that they mention it in the comics, every time, you know, it's just like, no, there's no reason for Spock to be doubting Khan's legitimacy at all. There's no reason. Why wouldn't there be? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I I, I, don't. I, I don't have a problem with it. I, I really don't. So uh, Rand calls from engineering, interrupting their meeting. And yeah. says that they have a problem because there was one Tribble in the bomb, the Klingon bomb that they beamed up, which they beamed up and moved to engineering, which is weird. Yeah. But now engineering is full of Tribbles because they're getting stressed out. Apparently something we did not know about Tribbles uh, in the original series, it's established that all they do is eat and make baby Tribbles. Right. But in this one, they don't have to eat. If they get stressed out, they just make baby triples. See, I thought it was they still had to eat, but if they get stressed out, they make them faster. Well, Maybe, well, but there's no food in engineering. Yeah, I guess that's true. I, I mean, mean, they like could the have gotten into the hops. Been, yeah. They could have gotten the hops that they put into the beer in the brewery. That's true. That's true. Yeah, you're right. Then there'd be no stopping them. Then they're, then they're lucky that uh, Scotty's tribble didn't get stressed out when he moved to the Enterprise. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he keeps it really cold in his room. Spoilers for the, the end of this comic. Yeah. Yeah, but, that's, uh, that's kind of a plot hole. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Maybe he just went and got the Tribble. Maybe he left it on Delta Vega and just recently got it to beam it to Starfleet Academy. Yeah, but we do get to see Rand for the first time, which is cool. Yeah. New Rand. She's got a cool mini beehive hairdo. Yeah. Futuristic one. Yeah. Yeah. A, a more modern interpretation. Kind of surprising that they would 
allow them to use Rand, you'd think that, you know, that's a character who might be potential for later movies or something like that. I guess at this point, they obviously had the script for Into Darkness and knew that she wasn't in there. Yeah. But... Which is kind of disappointing. If you run into a character in here, it's likely that they're not going to cast that person in the movie. Still holding out hope for the uh, Excelsior series, though. Yeah, they could totally bring a Rand in. Yeah. All right, so uh, they grab a Tribble and take it to Sick Bay, where uh, Spock and McCoy poke around in it. Then they uh, they it dies, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Because apparently they only have a couple day lifespan, which I... is doesn't. From what I'm able to discern from a study of its physiological processes, the creature is not designed to live for longer than a matter of days. I guess that makes sense. But Scotty's had that one for years. I mean, sure, it it was in... It was cold, right? But then he brought it to the ship. Like you just said, he brought it to the ship. I guess so. So, uh. Oh, but see here, it says, I would surmise that the creature's rapid replication is an evolutionary response. Oh, I was sorry. I was reading that the wrong way. Never mind. To its short lifespan, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's, uh. Okay, fine. Plot hole in your comic book. Yeah. But they decide that, uh, perhaps because Scotty was able to keep one and only one for such a long period of time. That uh, if they turn down the environmental controls and engineering, then maybe they'll just stop. Yeah. Seems to make sense. Give Scotty an excuse to wear his cool outfit from yes. the first movie. He's still got his, his exact same outfit, cold weather outfit. There's a figure we need. Cold weather, cold weather Scotty. Yeah. That'd be cool. With a cool hat. Yeah. And someone can get him a towel. <laughs> it comes with a towel. Yeah, it comes with a towel. That's one. That's the accessory. <laughs> yeah. So they uh, open up engineering, and we get the kind of equivalent to Kirk buried in Tribbles. Yeah, you know, they open up doors, and Tribbles just come falling out. I'd say that's the same. Yeah. And Rand and Hinnendorf uh, grab all the loose ones and put them in little refrigerator units that they've got outside, and yeah. they. Uh, Freeze him after a after a short little uh kind of a jump scare where Scotty's being pulled under by all the tribbles and it just turns out it's Keenzer. Yep, yep. <laughs> Poor Keenzer. People just don't pay attention to him, you know? He's just a little guy. Yeah. But uh, I could see that being a good part if this was an actual episode. Like, you know, here it is, the third act and the music's all dramatic and you know, oh, is this gonna work? And then Oh no, I'm getting pulled under. Yep. Which is entirely possible. They may be wanting to defend themselves. Sure. Who knows? But no, it's just Keenzer. Yeah, it's cute. So they uh, they freeze them all out, and it turns out that that stops their, their breeding. So uh, Kirk calls Pike, and Pike says, yeah, we got people running around with uh, cryo sprays. So they're like, they've got like exterminator-looking guys, <laughs> like freezing all the tribbles that they can find which is impressive that they can find uh so many of them yeah and it's also funny because like you know pike's like earlier in the episode or earlier in the the comic 
you know, he's calling up Kirk and saying, like, you've got to do this. You've got to figure this out for us, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Kirk is saying, like, okay, you know, we'll work on that because we're here. But the solution just comes from McCoy playing with one Tribble, really. Mm-hmm. So they could have just as easily come up with that solution on Earth. More no, easily, probably. the Enterprise is the only ship in the quadrant. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I like this little kind of decoy here, where it's like Starfleet Intelligence has taken possession of the creatures for further study. And uh, Kirk questions it. Starfleet Intelligence? Why not let Xenobio handle it? And so it's like trying to set up something like maybe... Is are is is he referencing Section Thirty One? Yeah. Is is Pike saying that you know we're going to give him to Section Thirty One to like make triple bombs? Right, kind of like the Xenomorphs with Wayland Yutani, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Except furrier and cuter, and a and a and an ecological menace, not a bitey, heady menace. Yeah, that could that could be Star Trek Three right there. Oh yeah. It's it's exactly aliens. Yeah, but with tribbles. But with tribbles. Yeah. If you think of like alien, you know, it's on the space station, you know, whatever, and it's you know, in space mm-hmm. going. Now here they take over the planet. They gotta go down there like military, you know, sending the Makos and stuff. I like it. James a, Cameron's the trouble with tribbles. There's a tribble queen. <laughs> that would be awesome. That actually oh. would be kind of terrifying when you think about it. All right, so uh, it turns out that Kirk told Pike that that Scotty risked his life to test this theory, so he's not going to get demoted. But his nephew is on academic probation for a couple of centuries. Yeah. Like, jeez, poor kid. <laughs> you make one mistake. Yeah, yeah, and if he if he hadn't fed the thing or something like that, then there would be no issue. But you know, what can you do? He gave it a pizza. I'm sure that it was kind of like, oh, what are we gonna do with this, dude? He, he, Let's he feed it. Fed it a pot brownie, and <laughs> <laughs> this is the result. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but uh, we get we get two nice little codas. Uh, we get a we get a coda in sick bay where uh mccoy's still playing with the dead tribble we'll keep it around and kirk asks, we don't even we do we even know what they're called and mccoy says no but if i had to name it how about trouble mm-hmm. which is funny but then we get i imagine what would be a post-credit sequence yes where where scotty's uh in transporter pad in the transporter room and he accidentally pushes a button and what materializes but a beagle. Yep. And it's an old-looking beagle. For sure. Which, according to the novelization of Star Trek 2009, was the original post credit sequence. Did you read this novelization? No, no. In the novelization, at the end of the novelization, it goes back to a transporter pad, and then all of a sudden... A, it materializes a dog that just runs out the door and down the hallway. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. wow. That's pretty cool. I'm really disappointed that that's not there. Yeah. I had heard about their plans to show the Botany Bay drifting in space, but hadn't heard that. It's interesting. 
Yeah, I I, I really like that. It's my favorite part of the book. <laughs> but but that's that comic. Yeah. So what do you think about how they modified the story for this new continuity? I I like it. I like how they took parts of the original story, but they also made it completely different. I like seeing the Tribble homeworld and and the Predators because you get you you start to question things which which they do bring up in the original episode about, you know, how can they breed so fast, you know, what keeps them in check and that kind of thing. So so it's kind of nice nice to have a a, a show don't tell uh uh for the comic because you've got this unlimited limited only by your imagination budget. So they can show us things like giant predators that just vacuum up tribbles. But it, it's a fun story. It's got some. It's got some comedy. Uh, it doesn't. I mean, I guess tribbles. I suppose everybody's supposed to be scared of tribbles, like you know that the menace that they are. You know, and the Klingons want to wipe them out, and they take them seriously. But it's just so hard to take them seriously, or any story involving them. Yeah, I think that's kind of the joke. You know behind it too where it's like these things are bad news but they're so cute you know <laughs> that kind of thing yeah I, I agree with you i think it's a, a good retelling i mean i think one of the most interesting things about deciding to do a tribble story here is that uh they they obviously read the script and when they read the script they were like oh here's some things that we can start to plant the seeds for you know and mm -hmm. one of them was a tribble thing and that I think it's kind of brilliant because it's like, well, there's a tribble on here, a dead tribble. We don't have to explain that, but this also theoretically gives us an opportunity to do a tribble story in the continuity and make it work. And uh, that's what they did. I mean, I think that on the whole, I do like the, the comic. I, I do think that it has some pretty big plot holes, like you were saying. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know. It's got some some cool stuff in there too, and you know, like you were saying, it is kind of a good adaptation in that it's not the exact same events, which is cool because it shouldn't be the exact same events. Yeah, because it's you know six years earlier, seven years earlier. So yeah, I I, I like it on the whole. Okay, not as good as the original episode, but oh no, 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 no. There's very few of these that I would like better in the original episode mm -hmm. yeah. I, it would take a lot to do that well it was fun talking about tribbles today but that's just one of the trek topics we've been talking about on trek fm this week here's a quick look what you may have missed elsewhere on the network previously on trek.fm standard orbit this episode isn't very good but <laughs> are we just going to pin all of our <laughs> choices? You pretty much have to. But the thing about this episode, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, I think, is it's a crazy idea. Earl Grey. Picard, can you construct a, a rudimentary lathe? Go for its weak spot. <laughs> it's an energy being. It doesn't have a vulnerable spot. <laughs> Get off the line, the forge. The orb. Or we could just blame it on Janeway somehow, you know, that she it's scared fault, the yeah. Borg into the 
Gamma Quadrant because they were tired of dealing with her in the Delta Quadrant. I don't know. To the journey! Because this is the dangers, by the way, kids, of having uh, babies in the 24th century. Because if Kathy's first word was coffee and she was standing next to the replicator, the next thing you know, you have a hyped up two-year-old. The ready room. Well, it's kind of like, you know, you've got your lucky shirt when you're watching a football game and your team won when you were wearing it. So now you have to wear it every time. That's also the Enterprise insignia. That's the insignia of the only ship whose crew didn't die. Yeah. So Just wear course. it on the right color shirt. That's all. That's right. Have. Commentary, Trek stars. And then he turns to her and he says, who, who is that man that I was just hugging? And she says, that was William Shatner. And he's like, who? Literary treks. Well, you know, I'm, I'm really a, a fan of a lot of, you know, different kinds of you know, naval fiction. Uh, you know, I, I, C.S. Forrester, Horatio Hornblower, those novels. So uh, good. Yeah, Patrick O'Brien, uh, you know, the, the Master and Commander books. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, these are all things which sort of put me into the right mindset. The 602 Club. So when we come kind of to the story here, and especially off of doing literary treks where we talk about Michael Pillar's book, Fade In, kind of got behind the scenes of, of insurrection and really seeing how the that story changed to me it really just exemplified the importance of story in a movie and that's what else is happening on trek.fm so check out these shows and get in on the daily trek talk you find them on itunes stitcher spreaker and soundcloud or you can just stream from the website just visit trek.fm slash podcast to get all the links well we got a message from andy bowyer who says, Hey guys, me again. As one of your audible suggestions, you recently offered up Shadows on the Sun. I'm a bit of an authority on the Star Trek audiobooks narrated by James Doohan. First off, he was an incredible audiobook narrator, one of my favorites, and I've listened to a lot of audiobooks. I heartily recommend all the titles he did, The Lost Years, The Kobayashi Maru, my favorite, Final Frontier, his take on Robert April is splendid in that one, and Prime Directive, just to name a few. As for Shadows in the Sun, it is, as all the Trek audiobooks that I've heard are, an abridgment. I've never read the book, but usually the cuts are good. This book is one of those that went on for over three hours, which means that the story is a bit more fleshed out than some others. James Doohan's performance is incredibly touching in places, and he deftly manages to capture the spirit of all the characters at his disposal. His take on Leonard McCoy is usually flip and irreverent, as in the Kobayashi Maru, where McCoy was more of a devil's advocate than anything else. But the material in Shadows in the Sun dictates a deeper look at the Doctor, and Dewan delivers. Story takes place on the heels of Undiscovered Country, for anyone keeping score, and we find Bones contemplating retirement and is surprised at learning that the Enterprise has been afforded one last mission. What we learn in this story is why Bones went into Starfleet in the first place. The story of his relationship with his ex-wife is fully explored and explained, which is both enlightening and heartbreaking, where the latter is concerned on many levels. The story is told partly in flashback to McCoy's past to a mission to the planet San. Pronounced San rhymes with Khan. Aha, we did it. <laughs> and his relationship with someone whose aims in life are in direct contrast with his own. And yet how a kind of kinship is born in spite of the disparity. As for the present, we learn of the impact his history on San has on the, his current predicament. I've read reports that one of the roles they're casting for the next Star Trek film is that of McCoy's ex-wife. I don't know about that. That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. I heard that there was like a love interest from McCoy involved. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Ooh, maybe they're doing for the world is hollow and I touch this guy. Yeah. 
It is my greatest hope that this story is used for reference material because it's just that good. This story deals with loss, morality, conviction, reflection, and redemption. Not necessarily in that order, nor necessarily once for each of those categories. For what it's worth, on a drive to school one morning while listening to this book again, my then 15-year-old daughter commented at one point, Man, that's rough! I was surprised because I figured she wasn't paying attention. I was pleased that the material was compelling to her. And it is a great story. If a listener wants to take advantage of the Audible offer for Standard Orbit, and as a McCoy fan, this book is a great way to go. Thanks for the great podcast, guys. Keep up the excellent work. Be well, A.B. Thanks, so there's A. your Audible plug. Yeah, there you go. You can get that book for free since you're a Trek FM listener. Just go to audibletrial.com and sign up today. That's right. Audibletrial.com. Slash Trek FM. Slash Trek FM. So uh, let's tell everybody where they can contact us if they'd like to share their thoughts or, or Audible plugs so you don't have to come up with one. Uh, they can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send a show and choose Standard Orbit. That'll come to both of us by email. You can also use the tab on the left-hand column of any page to send us a voicemail using your webcam's microphone, which we might play on the air. And you can talk to us and our other listeners at the Facebook group, The Babel Conference. In social media, you'll find our Facebook page at facebook.com slash trek.fm and on Twitter under username trek.fm. Mike, where can people find you out of orbit? You can find me right here on Trek FM doing commentary Trek Stars with John and Max, and you can find me on commentarytrackstars.com doing Off Topic with Max and Brandon, and you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. And you can find me on Twitter at 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E, and on the Babel Conference under my name, Drew Stewart. Well, before we go, uh, we'd like to remind you that uh, you can support Standard Orbit by going to audible.com. Uh, it's a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. Uh, as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trek.fm, and we thank Audible for supporting Standard Orbit and Trek.fm. We'd also like to thank Richard Rutledge Jr. for being our associate producer. You can find him on Twitter at RUT8972, and we really appreciate him supporting us on Patreon. Yes, thank you very much, Richard. And if you want to support us on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash trek.fm. You'll find a list of donation levels where you can get things like exclusive digital goodies, early access to episodes, access to our project manager, and even be listed as an associate producer like Richard. You'll find out where the donations can go if you go there. Uh, things like covering the monthly cost of hosting and distribution, hiring an editor for our shows, and upgrading our equipment. Again, that's patreon.com slash trek.fm, so check it out. So we're running low on these comic comparisons. Yep, we're getting close to Into Darkness. and. Past into darkness, they don't seem to be doing as many. Although it sounds like they have plans to do a few. Yeah, he just said I, I that they're that. doing the Tholian web. Yeah, that's that's gonna be cool. Yeah. But uh, the the after darkness little arc is uh, a muck time. Yeah, so for sure. Yeah, but I've I've not read the ones between here and after darkness or anything after after darkness. So I just started on the Q Gambit. So, Ooh, I what really you could say that. is like the Squire of Gothos. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> so maybe we'll cover that. Yeah. 
Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It is the will of Landrew. Mr. Chekhov, take us out of orbit ahead. Walk factor one. Hi, sir.